Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Kevin Knight, and I'm here today in Gothenburg, Sweden with Harry Mordby. Harry, thank you so much for being with us. Well, Harry, this one uh, is a particularly fun uh, interview for me because uh, when I was a missionary in Sweden 18 years ago, my first area was in your ward, and I remember well some really interesting intellectual discussions that, that you and I had and, uh, and that I'm sure you've imparted a lot of wisdom on missionaries over the years. I want to be, begin, though, by, by asking you, how, how, does, how did you become a member of the church? How did you develop your testimony? Give me a little bit of a sense of your spiritual upbringing. Well, it started with missionaries. Our family are all converts. And uh, my mom brought me to church when I was eight. It was a Sunday when I was going to play soccer and I hated it. <laughs> and uh, then our entire family, besides my older brother, he's 11 years older than me, went to church. So my mom was baptized 1958. 1960, my two sisters were baptized. And 1962, my dad and I. So I was... So the family was spread out a little bit. Yes, it that. took four years and we went to church the whole time. So you were 12? I was, yeah, it was one of my 12th year. Okay. And the missionaries were often at our place. Mm -hmm. And uh, once they said, this was way back in the days when there was no TVs. Mm -hmm. You had a radio and they said, on Radio Luxembourg, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir are going to sing the Messiah tonight. Okay. And my sister and I, we love music and said, so we got Radio Luxembourg in and we heard the, the choir singing and they were singing for unto us a child when I was laying on the carpet in the, in the living room and the spirit caught me and I felt that Christ is real mm -hmm. and it is important to be one of his and that was really the start of my testimony of of Godhood, of who Christ is, what he's done for us, and the importance of being a member of his church. And not long after that, my dad, well, there was a special night too, we were all in the kitchen, and he came in with tears in his eyes and said, I had to join this church. I guess, it, I guess he's been in the bedroom praying. I said, you do? And he said, yes, I have to, because this is true. And that was the start of a long journey. We were baptized together, and um, so I had my teens in the church, growing up with some other, not so many kids, as you might believe. Sweden is not a big country, and the church was not big in those days. Mm. And I especially really remember a day when I was supposed to go to school, and my stomach was upset, so I decided to stay home, and I opened the Book of Mormon early in the morning, and I started reading the Book of Mormon. I was fascinated and I was reading and reading and reading and I woke up about I don't know when everybody came home from work and school and I've been reading all day and this stomach craziness was gone and and my testimony had grown and I've read about two-thirds of the book in one day how old were you I think I'd be about 14 wow like Joseph Smith okay it it um, it strikes me as unique that a an eight-year-old child would spend four years investigating the church. Was there something that you were, were, were you, was there something that was hanging you up or did you feel like you just didn't have the conviction yet? 
Well, I, I liked being there. Mm -hmm. uh, I went with my parents and I saw my sisters and I saw how they um, grew in their testimonies. And the missionaries came when I was about 10, I think, and they asked me if I wanted to be baptized. And I said, I'll do it when my dad does. Because I felt that he was the one who was in charge of the family and I followed him okay. rather than mom. My mom had a, had a, my grandfather on my mom's side, he was a preacher. So she had a, a background of faith growing up, but not my dad at all. Oh, really? So being a member for him was a great change and, and, and becoming a member and uh, meant that he had to give up certain things that he was not prepared to do, actually. Mm -hmm. I remember standing at the uh, downtown Göteborg, Gothenburg, uh, by the canal, waiting for the streetcar to come, and, uh, and he was pensive, and so on. I was just waiting there, and he said, no, and he took out his package of cigarettes and knuckled up, threw it in the canal, and took up his pipe and broke it off and threw it in the canal, and never smoked after that. Wow. That was about six months before he was baptized. Okay. So he made some serious decisions, and, uh, and I followed him. And I don't know if I really was investigating. I just kind of accepted everything and mm -hmm. went there. Okay. You, my, my recollection of you is um, from, from even just 18 years ago, uh, fuzzy as my recollection may be, is that you've, um, uh, you're fairly intellectual, fairly analytical, um, but you mentioned the earliest days of your investigation of the church were in the times that predated common television in Sweden. Oh, yes. So, so certainly much of your learning about the church would have predated the internet. How, <laughs> how have you studied, how have you learned so much? Um, where, how did you, you're an inquisitive mind. Yes. Where did you go for answers to your questions and to, and to satiate that in, in inquisitive nature over the years? Books. Okay. I've always been reading. I've been always been reading a lot. When I was 10, one of my sisters brought me to the library close to our home, and I'd never seen that many books in all my life. And I said, what do you do here? Because in our home, there weren't very many books. And she said, you can borrow books. How many? <laughs> as many as you want. Can I do that? Yes, she said. So I went to the nice lady, and I got a card that told me that I could borrow books. And and I borrowed two books every day, or maybe three, and read them until the next day. So I've always had an inquisitive mind. I love knowledge and to get knowledge. And my sister is four years older than me. And when the new school year came and she brought her school books, the new ones, mm -hmm. I'd read her books. And when I was 14, going to school, I started thinking about, and then I've been a member for two years, a lot about creation. And I couldn't get the... Um, the picture of creation as told in the scriptures and the picture of creation that science would give you. And I thought a lot about that. And then books again, one of my brothers-in-law had a book by the name of Science and Your Faith in God. Mm -hmm. So I borrowed that. And it was hard reading for me. I was 14, reading in English. And, and I read about the creation and I found a plaque that showed that this is what it's, how it's described in scripture, and this is how it's described by science, and they go hand in hand. And then I realized that you cannot, 
go towards spiritual things scientifically only mm -hmm. because they are talking about different things. Science told about how the creation was made when the scriptures tell us why. And the science would never do that. And I realized that and I thought, okay. It's as simple as that. That's interesting insight. And I brought that with me then, growing up. I went to school in a school with 1,400 boys, smart kids. And they knew, many of them knew that I was a member. And one of them would come up to me and say, Harry, you believe in an omnipotent God, don't you? And I said, yes, of course. I said, but can God make a stone so large that he cannot lift it? And there's a trap in the question, and there usually is when people come like that. And I said, no, he wouldn't do that. Why should he? Because he wouldn't have any use for any stone like that. When God creates anything, he creates it with a purpose, just like he had a purpose when he created you. And he dropped off. And I learned something through that because many of the questions that, I, that came to me during growing up and in further years in the church, many of them were, if this, then why this? Mm -hmm. So the question is not then, but the question is the if. Right. You'll have questions like, if the Book of Mormon has the complete gospel, then why doesn't it contain something? Mm -hmm. So what the questioner is really saying is, the Book of Mormon doesn't contain everything. Right. And then there's no way to go, to go into that and winning the discussion, just like you can't win this stupid, sophistical, large stone thing. Because anyway you try to turn it, it, you will be, it won't work. Yeah. And how old were you when you were in that school? From 12 to 18. Okay. So you were a teenager when this, when this boy teenager. brought, brought this intellectual yeah. um, riddle to you. Yes. So you've been, you've been exposed to skepticism and cynicism plenty in your life. Oh, yes. Um, has, and, and you're an, in, an inquisitive mind who, with a voracious appetite for reading, those two things coupled together, was there ever a time when you came across something about the church and you thought, wow, this is jarring or shocking, or how do I explain this? There must have been. Well, there was certainly a time when internet came into the picture, mm -hmm. which opened up for knowledge spread uh, from anyone. Anyone could put up anything out there. And this started in the, uh, I don't know, here in Sweden, came in early 90s, 80s, I'd say. And I was bishop at the time, and one of the, my very first interviews was a member who wanted to have a conversation with me. I said, yes, of course. And he said, I want to leave the church. And I said, really? How come? And I thought he was going to start whining about things in the ward or whatever, but he didn't. He was chopping at the roots of the faith of Joseph Smith, of the Book of Mormon and things like that. And I said, well, of course you can leave the church. The procedure is that you have to wait two weeks and then it's just paperwork and then it's done. You need two weeks to think about this. And then he said, Harry, try the internet. And then he left. So I did. I googled 
well, it wasn't Google then, it was something else. But anyway, all the answers that came up were not from, from people with faith. And I thought, this is, uh, this is kind of dangerous. I'm going to cope with this because I realized that he's not going to be the first one. And then I remembered something that Marion G. Romney had said when I was a missionary 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier. He was visiting Sweden and I was in the mission home. So we, and he's a scriptorian. So all the elders in the mission home thought, now we have a chance to shoot everything on him. And we did every meal, you know. And then he, one meal he sighed and he said, elders, it's like this. There are many things in the scriptures and in the gospel that I don't understand and questions that I cannot answer. They don't bother me even half as much as all the things that I understand but don't do. And I started thinking about that again because you got the world here, the science, you got the creation from my teens and it's the same thing over again. What is the most important thing? My relationship with Godhood and what he wants me to do? Or what the world throws at me? And that's how I cope with that. I can take an example. We talked about that the other day, my wife and I. Um, uh, my wife's father turned 98. He's an old man. And we talked about him in the war, in the World War II. Mm -hmm. And Sweden was neutral on paper. But he was standing guard in Helsingborg, way south in Sweden, where the German soldiers came over from Denmark and took their Swedish railway up towards Norway. Mm -hmm. And they were all standing guard to see that nobody tried to desert into our country. Right. And we asked him, how do you feel about that? And I said, he, we were mad at them, he said. But our officers told us we could do nothing, just stand there and show a stone face. And I said, some of my friends wanted to shoot them. But we couldn't start that. And now that's one part of the story that you don't read in Swedish history books. On the other side, I know that there are Norwegian resistance that go over the border every time they've done something to the Germans, some sabotage, and they'll flee over to the Swedish side, and we welcome them. So we did both of these things, and that is not in the history books either. So who knows the history? Well, you could talk back to my 90-year-old father-in-law, because he was there, but not very many are there. A Norwegian resistance had training camps in Sweden's forests and, and mountains. You cannot read about that. So when you come into history, you get only fractions of what really going on, right. what, what people really felt and what really what happened. You don't know. So how can you say this and that about it? You, that's the way it's helped me. And how, how, how do you do that? How, when, you, when, you, when you see something, and, and of course, as, as wonderful as it is that we as a church have been good at record keeping and things like that, we, we, we are blessed to have a lot of records about the 
history of the church, uh, but with the, with this acknowledgement that we don't have everything. We don't have anything. No, we don't. Is that what? How does that affect your view of the church and how you navigate, or how you would advise people that navigate that find something and think, "Wow, this is akin to Swedish complacency in World War II." Yep. In the gospel sense, what do you do with that? Uh, uh, what I do is that I realize that the, the church has a name. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So it's an organization right, mm -hmm. made by Christ, organized by Christ. And in that sense, it is running smoothly and perfect and with the best intentions you can have. I mean, divine love is behind it. But the other side of the church is that it's the church of the saints. And I mean, I'm not a saint. <laughs> You're not a saint. Not and yet. I know that That's when I was sure. a bishop, I did some really stupid things. Uh -huh. So we have to realize that the church is a church of humans. And the only person who ever was perfect, that was Christ. Right. So if you look at our lives, we made mistakes. And if you look at church history, which is made up, by humans, you're going to find things that are hard to explain and you wonder, why did they do that? That's not right or downright wrong. And uh, I think I leave that to the Lord. Well, and in, in, in some ways that is empowering because we grow so much through our efforts of trying to serve and trying to follow Christ and, and being willing to be an imperfect bishop, for example. Uh, if, we, if we couldn't do that as humans with our human errors and human frailties, then what, what an enormous opportunities to grow we would miss out on yeah. in earth. And we need to be patient with one another as, as we all imperfections and all try yes. to progress toward Christ. And I am, I am really what is the word, safe or secure with Christ from the days on the carpet when I hear them sing about him, yeah. the Tabernacle Choir. And I think that this is his church, which means that he really knows what's going on. He knows who I am, and he accepts what I do, being imperfect. He uses my service for good, and that's a great thing for me. And he does that to everyone else. And should I judge them? And then they say, why isn't this person or this person doing better? Because I'm not. But Christ is accepting that anyway. And, and that's how I feel about that. And one of the themes that I'm, that I'm hearing from your story is so much of your testimony is anchored in that experience you had as a child, listening yeah. to the Messiah, listening to the Tabernacle Choir perform the Messiah on Radio Luxembourg, lying on the carpet in your home. And that was the beginning of a relationship between you and God and between mm -hmm. you and your Savior. What would you say to somebody who doesn't feel like they've had that, that child lying on the carpet experience? Is it, is it too late? How can somebody get that? How important is that? What advice would you have? Well, um, the advice is to try the experiment of Alma then. You have to desire to have a little faith and you have to pray about that. And, and when you get it. that little tiny seed and you have to work on that and 
And I think that works for everyone. And in fact, for you, you waited two years as a child before you had yes. go into church for two years before yes, you got yes. there. But you wanted yeah, four years. Four years. That's right. Four years until you. Yes, yeah. I think I think that is the way for everyone. And then I think what is happening today is that many people forget and they forget quickly. And I think of the story when I was twelve and I had been baptized, and, my, and the next Christmas that was nineteen sixty-two. My sister and uh, her, the husband who borrowed me the book, mm -hmm. lent me the book with the Science is Your Faith of God. I still have the book. They gave me a three-in-one. I hadn't had that before. Mm -hmm. And I started reading the Doctrine and Covenants and soon I came to the part where Oliver Cowder and Joseph Smith were translating the Book of Mormon and, and Oliver wanted to do it too. And I realized that Oliver had prayed a lot in the home of Joseph Smith Sr. before going to offer his help. Mm -hmm. And now it doesn't work for him as easily as he thought it would be. And then Christ, and then the Lord says to him, don't you remember the day, the night I gave you answer? I'm, I don't know it word perfect in English. And he said, what more answer can you have than from God? And if we don't remember that, I think we can be in a fix. So I think you need to go over in your mind often the things that the Lord actually have, has given you over the years. Yeah. And I also think that many of us don't get the big paramount pictures, start movie, uh, revelation. It, it's, it can be very, very tiny, but real. As my feeling was when I listened this first time. Right. Not always angelic visitations and dramatic events, but sometimes no, that... No, no, and then you have to trust that. But you have to trust that. Yes. And maybe you also... One of the gifts of the Spirit is that you should trust those that speak the word of knowledge and faith and work to get that gift to actually accept that you say it and that it might be true for me as well. And then I will grow into... The experience of Alma, and I think it can take a time. It's it's not. A, this is no quick fixes here. There are no yeah. quick fixes here. Yeah. Thank you, Harry. Is, is that is, a an answer? This is a great. Well, it's a great answer because I I can think back to moments of my childhood where I had similar experiences, and it would be maybe not easy, but possible to doubt them. Uh, I'm grateful that I had some of those experiences as a child because I think it set me on a path to continue to nurture and develop my testimony. But then I think <clears throat> even in this in this conversation, I have been my testimony has been strengthened by hearing your experience, and I think that's a very, very valuable part of the equation that we sometimes leave out. And that is, and it's and one of the reasons why we go to church, and one of the reasons why we go to Sunday school, is that conversation from other people that support that that um that sharing of testimonies yeah. from people who we know and people who we can trust and we can yeah our our our, our testimonies dance don't stand in isolation i guess I no, would say. no they don't and the lord told me once that there is no way i can you can rush into things either 
After my mission, I went into the army, and after the army, 11 months there, terrible time, waste of time. <laughs> I was called, I was 22, to go to the temple in London and translate the temple texts, retranslated into Swedish, mm. because they were redoing the entire thing for all the European languages. So, so gathered in the Swiss temple, that was one of them that we had at those days, where all the Romanic-speaking people, and in London they called, they gathered the German, Germanic-speaking languages. So there were two ladies from Norway and Denmark, a 92-year-old patriarch from Holland, and a professional interpreter, an Austrian, for German. He later became the mission president, the temple president in, in Switzerland. And with this group, five people, I sat for five weeks translating, retranslating this text, every morning discussing what does this mean, how do you translate, what, what is the real meaning of these things. And my understanding of, of, of uh, temple things grew immensely during those five weeks. And then our temple traveled to, uh, to Switzerland. And um, there was Imoloshin, this fellow that I had befriended in, in London. And he'd given the call by the first president. They, said, they told him, make the temple a place of learning. So he gave lectures before every session on different topics. And then I understood more. And, and having a, starting a family and having small kids and work and go to Switzerland is a hard thing to, to organize. So we, my wife and I made it so I would go one week and she'd go another week for an entire week and the other one would be home with the kids. And I went one day, one of these weeks and I thought, wow, I went to the temple and I want to learn so much. And I didn't learn a thing. And I was really disappointed mm -hmm. because I had anticipated so much. And on the bus on the going home, the Lord sometimes teaches me things through, through dreams. I was dozing off, it was the middle of the night, and I was passing a place where there is a sandy beach on, on the coastline of Sweden. And you know you got the ocean, you got sand, and then you got, what do you call that, a dune? Mm -hmm. And on the other side, you've got bushes. Right. And I saw myself crawl in under these bushes and finding my way on the ground among all the roots and things. And I saw myself understanding more so I could stand, start standing up. And this was really, really messy because there was branches everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then I got so high up, I got my head over the bushes that I could see even more. And I started crawling up over this dune. And I thought, this is the Lord telling me that I know a few things about the temple. And when I came to the top, I saw a vast ocean of knowledge that I knew nothing about. And I was calm. I realized the Lord was telling me, you knew a few things, son. There are a lot more awaiting you and be patient. It will come. Thanks. And some things has taken 40 years of temple attendance to realize what they mean to me. And maybe some of us need to think, give, 
not run before we can walk and give Lord, the Lord the opportunity to do it is his due time. That's very insightful. Thank you, Heron Morby. Really appreciate you taking some time to share your insights and your testimony and your advice with us. Thank you. Thank you.